Welcome to another Aramont Podcast. This is your host, Nick DeFord, and today we welcome Jason Beige Burnett to the program. Now, for those of you who are familiar with Aramont, you're probably familiar with Jason. He was an artist in residence from 2012 to 2013 and also worked at Aramont a few years after that. Uh, I'm really fortunate to consider Jason as both a colleague and artist that I work with often, but also a friend. And today on the podcast, we're going to talk about maybe something you're not expecting if you know Jason, because for those out there who know him, probably know him as a really popular ceramics artist. He's been making ceramic, functional ceramic work for a long time. Uh, you've probably seen his work at exhibitions, clay cells, clay galleries. Um, he's currently the resident artist in resident at Archie Bray. And you've probably seen him at Inseca. But we're actually going to talk about Jason, the fiber artist and textile designer today. Because in the past year, Jason has shifted his creative focus from ceramics to textile design. And I feel like a lot of the conversations I've been having with this podcast has been this sort of talk of change or transition or taking a risk which makes sense in this past year of the pandemic as people reevaluate their creative practice and might look for new ways that they can stay engaged with their making and take new directions. So please help me welcome Jason Burnett. So with the movement from ceramics to textiles, as you just said, I've always I've always had an interest in textiles um, since the beginning of let's say the career goes back to undergrad. Um, my main focus was graphic design when I first started, and I really just loved ceramics and how much the clay really demanded of your hands, your attention, finesse. Everything was literally from the earth to uh, into its completion. And there was just so much curiosity that the material asks of you when you ask the questions. And I just, I, I saw a path. I saw a path within that career, focused on it, went to, went to take workshops at like Anderson Ranch, Penland School of Crafts, Oxbow. But there was this like little, little seed that had been planted. And it was from my ceramic professor, Tom Bartell, and his girlfriend, Rachel Clark, was like, hey, Jason, have you ever, do you know how to sew? Because the material, the subject matter that you're playing with, I really think that sewing could lend, lend itself to that. And so I was like, well, well, tell me more. And at that time, I was playing around with like cupcakes and baked goods as just commentary on, uh, on social um, behavior, political behavior. And so I wanted my mom to, you know, Rachel introduced it, but I asked my mom to teach me. And so that Christmas, 2007, maybe, my mom bought me the whole setup, um, came to Bowling Green, Kentucky, taught me how to sew an apron. And I made a line of aprons that were about gender sort of roles in play. And I was hooked. I've always, there is just something about not needing a kiln and having this immediacy of attaching and cutting things together in different colors and patterns this abundance and it's always resonated. And the one thing that I always had a hard time with clay is I hate chemistry. I hate glaze chemistry. I hate it. And 
I can make a whole bunch of work, put it in a kiln, months and months of time into one kiln and one blip, it's all gone. And the stress was just always there, always there. But there came a point later in my ceramic career where I made a commitment. I said, this is your path. This is what you're going to pursue. Make this into a career, get the most out of it that you can. And during that time, I was, I, a friend of mine, Beth Scheibel said to me during that time, during the Aramont residency, she says, JBB, you know, you're not a clay artist. You're a surface designer. I was like, whatever, Beth, I'm a clay artist who likes to play with pattern. But I don't think truer words had ever been spoken. And to hear that from a friend who Beth and I were roommates when I was a core fellow at Penland. And for those listening in, Core Fellowship, you're like in this intense two-year program living with eight other individuals immersed in workshop after workshop in just this hyper-realistic creative environment. And I may not have seen those things, but my roommates certainly did. You know, they observe your patterns and routines just as much. And so to hear that from Beth had always stuck with me, but all my attention went to clay and never really went into finessing more like pattern development um, color theory. I just sort of created with clay things that I responded to. During the Aramont residency, continuing along the lines of the fiber work, um, I made this big just sort of flag display celebrating right. a little boy who was turning nine. And the concept was that he just wanted this big tea party, this big feminine tea party. And when you saw it, you could just see that this, just this excitement of this beautiful ninth birthday and then it wasn't until you realized that it was for a boy and just growing up queer in in the south kentucky tennessee north carolina in military school and with a catholic upbringing you know roles were placed roles were taught and we weren't taught that things were wrong until we got older. So instead of celebrating our uniquenesses and our diversity, we were told to shut it down. And, but I feel really blessed and gifted to be of the generation that got to work through that transition of here's a role you have to fill in. Oh, wait. Then came the terms bisexual, metrosexual, um, all those different terms that people needed to say, it's okay to have a feminine side and to live in a day and age now where we embrace that spectrum. There's still issues, but I feel fortunate to have been that part. So textiles has always been a way for me to communicate things that maybe I should, wasn't able to with clay. Um, and because of the teachings of Tom Spleth, who is a printmaker, ceramic artist, painter, artist, um, it was knowing him, meeting him, studying underneath him, that Tom Spleth really just in his own existence and practice gives you enough permission to say, I'm a creator. I don't define myself by my tools. I have my tools help define what it is that I need to make. And so textiles has always been there. Long story short, here I am at the Archie Bray Foundation for a long-term <laughs> residency in Helena, Montana, and COVID-19 hits. And during this time, uh, everything changes. Everything is all, everyone listening to this will know everything changed. And so we were doing a video, a video series for the Archie Bray Foundation. 
And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna show every bit of part of my process. And so I started showing how to make this repeat pattern, fell in love with the repeat pattern, couldn't wait to screen print that pattern um, for my side business called Isla Transfers. And as I was printing it, I printed enough for the business, but then I wanted to print some for myself. And it was all of a sudden, I gave myself this permission again because there was no more deadline after deadline after deadline. I all of a sudden had room for play and it just started pouring out. What happens when I print with this color and this color and this color combination? Who cares about the time that it takes this time because you have all the time in the world right now. So let's, let's pour out every single idea. And then Nick, I was having a field day until one thought, I've got to make a ton of clay work now for all of this to go on. Sure. And I just, I was just like, just, I bet that thought just brought everything down. It was like it a crumb, It made everything yeah. just tumble down. I mean, all those prints are in a plastic bin to this day. And it's just like, that was the, that was an end of a chapter. It's not to say that that chapter won't pick back up again. But I just said, you know what? No, no regrets, no hard feelings. It's time for a change. No thinking what should have, could have, would have. You're blessed to be in this position. You're privileged to be in this position. Well, let's make the, the best of it and the most of it. So I put all of it away. I went to the local sewing shop here in Helena called the Sewing Palace. And the ladies there were helping me just like with the right kind of fabrics. Um, I was looking at the different colors, thinking about yardage, went back to the studio, had, man, Nick, during a time when I was even unemployed and wasn't receiving the COVID relief unemployment benefits yet, because I just moved to Montana from Kentucky and all the amount of paperwork, everybody trying to get money, dude, the time to be investing in yourself and dropping money when you were uncertain of when it was coming in. I'm glad that I rode on the wings of faith and saying that money is a tool. It will come and it will go as long as you keep putting yourself out there and hustling and believing in yourself. It will, it's not if it will, it's it will come back to you. And so I say all that because I didn't have fabric inks and inks are not cheap. Yes. And so uh, just even talking to you about it now, I just remember thinking like, no, they tell you invest in yourself. Done are the days of just being super freaking frugal. You don't have to. It's okay to spend a little bit on yourself. You're excited about this idea. Give yourself permission to blossom and grow. And if you fail, pick yourself back up. And, and so I did, I remember the sick feeling in my stomach of dropping several hundreds of dollars on fabric ink, fabric, other tools, other- <laughs> A whole new studio, basically, almost. A whole new studio. I'm just like, what was I thinking? But it was all good. I took a risk. I think a lot of people don't understand what it truly means to take a risk. I'm trying something different in the studio. I think changing a color is experimenting, but this was risk. And, yeah. and I had to have my, my partner, my husband on board with this because I mean, he fortunately was still hired, but this was now tapping into his salary. He's like, you know what? I've seen you do this. I believe in you. I believe in you. I, there's a light in you that you've had before and you mean business. So 
anyhow, went to the, um, just started screen printing that pa that pattern on fabric. And I was just like, well, I'm going to put myself out there, not for, not for the sake of acceptance, but you know, as much as there is online, the likes and the followers and the friends, the positive comments, sometimes the lack of is just as much of a hard reality. Sure. Um, and so I made a bunch of like these zipper pouches just because I was excited about it. And there was a lot of excitement over them. I made more than what I really needed to. I've still got a ton. I should probably send some to the Aramon shop, but <laughs> I've got, um, it just one idea led to another. I started doing bandanas and I couldn't, I couldn't hold on to them. They kept selling out and it just, it was that reassuring of I'm making this time I'm making for me. I don't feel like I'm making what people expect for me to make in clay. Part of that I know is in my head, but there is in the community there. I hear, I go to the conferences. I listen to the conversations that people have when we're in small gatherings that we have expectations of what people are doing. And if, if someone takes, if an artist takes the risks, isn't doing all that great, they'll tell you to your face that, you know, like, oh yeah, I really love what you're doing. But behind a lot of people's backs, they'll, they'll speak what they really think. And, and what I just, I really appreciate with this is with going into textiles, I don't have a textiles based audience. I have a clay based audience. Right. And so many people were purchasing bandanas. I was just making these wine bags, um, sold all those out. And then I started to have people coming and asking for commissions based for work. Um, businesses like the Hawthorne, who I used to work for, they, they commissioned uh, me to do work. And part of that, I believe, was to help just have sort of like a, a job, um, a task. But at the same time, their audience snatched it up. And Make and Muddle, a, a online sort of like cocktail evangelist uh, business, they reached out for me to make stuff for them too. And I just wanted every opportunity to grow and to learn. And I was just saying yes to everything. So it was just giving myself permission to embrace the material that has always brought me enlightenment and joy, where clay was always a good challenge, but I think I was pushing it when it was, oh, I, what did I just watch? I was watching Hulu yesterday, um, the Hardy Boys, <laughs> and nothing like a good teen drama um, in the studio. And there was a breakup and she goes, are, 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 we, are we breaking up? And the boyfriend's like, I think we've already been broken up. We were just the last to know. And I was like, that is what happened with Clay and I. No <laughs> wonder why I was listening to all that Taylor Swift when I was starting out in textiles. Again. This is a good year for that then, huh? You got all kinds it of albums. Good. So it's been, it's been a really well-received transition. I'm constantly just making for me, putting it out there. If someone, if people enjoy it, great. If they don't enjoy it, cool. I'm loving it. I'm making for me. Well, and it's interesting because you bring up, you know, this sort of internal struggle about spending the resource of money, that money is often the resource that we think the most about. We, we give the most importance to, right? But there's another reason, I mean, in, in, in the struggle to like, how am I, am, I, am I spending this money wisely or whatever? And I like how you talk about it. It's just a tool, a tool that comes and goes. And you have to invest that resource if you're going to do something. You, you can't, it's difficult to get away if you're really going to dedicate your life to something to, to not invest in that resource. But, you know, another resource we have to spend is 
risk and excitement, like emotional resource. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. you're, like you were saying, like, you know, for people who've been in relationships that have broken up a long time ago, but they were not aware that they were broken up, you're, you're using your, your emotional resources in a way that's not productive, you know? And it just, it started, it really started seeping into other areas. Like I mentioned easel transfers. Easel transfers, I was screen printing for nonstop as a business early on and our employee really took that on and that's i think that that allowed for me to find the joy in in screen printing again and not just doing it as a production but as exploration yeah and and that is it took me back to college it took me back to the excitement of discovery learning mm-hmm. something new taking what i'd learned prior and applying it into the next thing and it just, I felt like a kid in a candy store and a student and a teacher all in one. Like it was this, it's an incredible sensation. And I remember just, I, I took a step back and said, this, this, what you're feeling right now. Remember, remember why you feel this way and how do you incorporate this into your practice? How do you set up these moments in your studio practice? So even when it does, ha- doesn't feel like it's happening, are you doing the exercise? Um, are you going through the motions? And, and, and setting up, giving yourself permission to have that, that time. So it's, I wasn't giving myself time to explore. Yeah. I to, wasn't. And to play. I mean, you, I mean, the play is such an important thing and it's, it's weird that you bring it up. Cause I just, a couple of weeks ago did a, a podcast uh, interview. Don't know which one will get pub- I mean, published first or whatever, but with an artist that I know that you admire, I, I, I had a conversation with Jim Hewitt and we talked. Oh yeah. 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 It was, it's really great. And we talk a lot about this exact same thing, how much play is important, is a critical thing for artists to do. And, you know, for you, maybe we can talk a little bit more just about play in general, even with your ceramic works, because your ceramic works is, I, I, I would assume, people have always probably called some of your designs and your patterns playful. And you yourself have talked about how much you draw influence from, for instance, you know, nostalgic cartoons and things like that so what does play mean for you i mean you talked a little bit about it as exploration but what about just play i think man so this is great question because this has been really what's been present on my mind when going through this new change i'd like to start with talking about rupaul's podcast what's the tea and Rue talks a lot about how important it is to listen to your inner child. That we become, many of us become detached from our inner child. The inner child is the the part of us that still demands curiosity and play and going a little wild and allowing your freak flag to fly and just having that side of you. And And if you find yourself burnt out or tired or angry, a lot of times it's your inner child beating at the door saying, let me out. And hearing it, you can hear something from different people, many different ways. And sometimes it just takes that one person to say it. For me, it was Rue. And so I told myself it's, it's really important not to take myself too seriously and, and to pause and to be more observant of my surroundings. So the importance of play here Back then, with the ceramic work, especially when when I was a resident artist at Aramont, you were the studio manager, and even the ceramic work that I was making throughout my career, later working at Aramont under you, sir, um, so much of the work then was about 
childhood play. And the reason for that childhood play of referencing like 90s Nickelodeon um, imagination was because that was a time of my life where I found safety in my imagination. And play for me was that imagination and escape from my reality. As I mentioned, growing up Catholic was really tough, not just coming into myself and understanding that I was a queer boy, but my parents were divorced. Divorce, sin, already, you know, an outcast. My relationship with my father was distant and not always good. I just, as a kid, I always just felt that I wasn't accepted nor wanted. And I was able to escape into the, the illustrations of the landscapes and the homes and the characters of these cartoons and action figures. And, and that was my safety. Now, as an adult, I had a hard time accepting adulthood. Hard. Some people are really good at it. Um, I think that, and, I mean, but, those people are probably just, just pretending though, right? They're pretending. They're, yeah, they're pretending. Now, I wanted to make it a practice. I heard, oh my God, Maggie Finlayson speak at her show at Penland at an opening and she said something and I, and I feel terrible if I've misquote or if I've got the context wrong, but what I remember was that she was talking about just um, Buddhism and where a lot of people make work to escape from the reality, but she finds her reality so wonderful that she wants to escape into it. And in that moment, I changed. Hearing those words from, from Maggie, just, I knew right then and there, take what it is with my, the, the child that I'm not willing to let go, this time, let's show him. Instead of trying to remain the child, let's show my inner child what life can be. And now I feel of a role where I want to be the adult. I want to be the big brother to myself. I want to say, it's okay to try this. Let's do it. Maybe it's just, it's, it's, I feel like being a teacher in a workshop, but to just myself and saying, it's okay to experiment. It's okay to explore. It's okay to take risks. And so now it's really that I want to, my play is about just escaping into my world. So many of the patterns now don't have to be as literal or just a theme. I love the abstractions. I love getting lost in my environment. Having moved around so much throughout my life, I don't really consider a single place to be home. Um, I, I really know what I'm drawn to. I've always felt that when I'm around the mountains, I'm home, especially the Smoky Mountains, especially Dollywood, because and it took me a while to understand, I think, my complete fascination with Dolly. But it's all in her lyrics. It's, in, it's at Dollywood itself. It's in the way that she writes about home. It's about your surroundings. It's about just finding joy in the beauty of your existence and what's around you. Whether it's the meadowlark calling or the misty morning um, or hearing the train go by. Those are the things that I resonate most with. And those are the things now I'm putting my attention to of just saying, look how beautiful the world is around you, escape into it. Let's play with that. Let's find the repetition of the human hand when people don't mean for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And just, just noticing my world a bit more. So that play now is 
don't know. As you know, you know me very well, and you know that I'm a huge, anybody who knows me knows that I'm a huge Dolly Parton fan. But I really use her and uh, her lyrics and her writing as an artist to my own practice. You know, it's not always about copying, as a clay artist, it's not always copying another ceramic artist. Sometimes it's, it's, it's no, it's always about asking the questions that they're asking. Whether you're a printmaker, a metalsmith, whether you're a bookmaker, a bookbinder, carpenter, you can find, you can admire other media, especially if it's content. And if you resonate with it, ask yourself, what are the questions that they're asking? And so with Dolly, that's, I want to find that beauty and it doesn't just go there. I love drag. I love just the, the um, exuberance is the word that comes to mind, the exaggeration of everything. I was going to say surface design. Surface design, but it's the, just that fictitious surfaces, like the show that we had that yeah. title, like that's always st stayed with me of, you know, find the beauty in it and then make it bold, make it bigger. And I love that. And so when I, when we go floating on the Missouri river during the summer here in Montana, I've never found Brown to be more beautiful. There's just certain colors and hues next to each other. And then when that golden hour hits those browns and they are just gold, harvest gold, um, the yellow fields, the dried grass, when that, when that midday sun hits it and there's dark clouds in the distance, the contrast of color and just, you're just awestruck. And I want to capture all of that. Just the, you know, within my visual, within my work, I want to create the pictures that Dolly creates with her lyrics, I want to do that with my hands and, and put that out visually. So that's where a lot of that play is now. Earlier, you, you had made aprons with, with fabric. Now that you're designing this fabric, you're printing this fabric, what kind of objects in the textile world do you see yourself? I mean, what have you been making? What do you want to make? What kind of, what kind of objects do you want to put out there in the world with your sort of signature surface design on them? That's a really great question. And that's one that I'm, I'm allowing time and space to answer. I don't, cause I don't have, it's right now, it's about just creating the surfaces mm -hmm. because with clay, it was always about the object right. and then, and then decorating it. Now I just love that surface design is the art itself, the printing, the discovery of the layering, the ink, the process. That's, that's where I'm currently, that's where I'm most passionate about right now. And I'm really just intrigued to see how other people take that finished result and how they use it. So the objects themselves right now, I'm still figuring that out. A lot of it comes with quilts. I've been making a lot of pillows. Uh, and the reason why I like making the pillows, I, I, I believe it has to do with that clay has always been so hard that I love that I can make something so soft. And it's still a pop of color in a room. It has a presence in a room. It's more on display than in a cupboard. There, you know, it can tie other elements. I just, I love the idea of, well, what I mentioned earlier about as a kid falling in, falling into the cartoons I would watch because of the interior spaces. How do I bring that into my own home? And that was always an interest with ceramics table runners. I really enjoy napkins. 
maybe that has something to do with just place settings, working with uh, functional objects for so long. I like the idea of setting a stage. Uh, curtains could be great. Um, I'm not right now so much into making clothes or like bags. I really want to make stuff that's for the home. I've, I've made quilts, but I haven't made quilts with my own fabric yet. And with, with the current studio work, I've developed a line of fabric that is called Mod Tana. And the idea of just, you know, studio fabrics. And with the studio fabric, people can use it however they want, but I really hope that it all, let me start that thought over. With this line of fabrics, it's about the identity of my everyday here in Montana through routine, through repetition, uh, seeing what the human hand and the human spirit does here in town. There's so much construction, Nick, where usually it's annoying and it's ugly, but seeing it for the maintenance and the building of towns and communities, there's a repetition of just like tire marks in, in the soil that look beautiful, that organic sort of un, unintended patterning and then they're building a new gallery at the Bray and just seeing how they organize the brick piles um, or the stacks of blue foam. And just like I said, that repetition where it just looks like this beautiful installation that was intended unintentionally. And so that fabric line, I want to be a place where all of my Montana influence and inspiration kind of funnels into that. No rhyme or reason. It's not going to be flowery. It's not going to, you know, be abstract, you know, um, geometric. I want it to be organic and exploration of color. So the sewing palace was like, we'll supply the fabric if we can sell it exclusively through here. Done. Like, great. They believe in it. They're excited about it. Their, their customers can't wait to get, um, to, to use it. That's exciting for me. Um, because people are responding to this work and they're responding to what they have, this information, just information, not, not tractor patterns or plaid patterns, just colors and shapes. So we've got that going on Montana. And that's, that's, that's sort of where I am now because I, they just hired me. I start working at the sewing palace next week as a store manager. And so I had to go right back into that. Okay, where does my where are my goals as a creative person in the studio practice still fulfilling my time as an Archie Bray Foundation resident? Now working a full time job, but I've also learned through these past several years is you just need to remain in flux, and it's not about what you don't have; it's about what you have and navigating through that, and and finding that time. You know, I may not have the days and days and days in the studio, but naturally, Nick, I can't put that many hours in the day in the studio. I drive myself crazy. Yeah. I need like 15 minutes to two hours, nonstop creative time. I'm good. I'm good. Well, in, in fiber, fiber arts, you know, from my own experience, provides a little bit more flexibility with how you use your time than ceramics. <laughs> Yes. The material of ceramics is one that is um, in it, it itself is in flux all the time. It's trying, or it's too dry, or it's too wet, and all this. 
but fiber arts for the most part, again, printing, printing fabrics gets a little, there's things you have to consider with that. But for the most part, you can put something down and pick it back up two years later and it's still there waiting for you. The very last, yes. very last stitch you made, the very last thing you printed, it's ready for the next layer. It's ready for the next stitch. I carry less stress having moved over to this material because it's not, I've got to cancel my plans because I got to get to the studio to make sure that this pottery doesn't dry up. And then it's all the additional time. Um, it's also clay is just very demanding on the body. I mean, so is sewing um, and quilting and, and screen printing, but it's also le less um, clay particles. Mm -hmm. I think my health is a lot better with this medium, um, but I'm also figuring out, this is a random thought, but with clay, I need, I was dependent on having people work for me to get stuff out for it to be worth the cost and the time with textiles. So many more people are fluent with, with sewing and understanding the techniques that I can hand off a lot of work with this too. And I've been doing that and it's just nice, you know, working with other people as a sense of just a community and those who want to see that work. So, yeah. You know, I was going to bring up one of the final things I want to sort of talk about. I think it's interesting when you were talking about objects to make, how you gravitate toward pillows. For me, knowing you and your work, that makes 100% sense, both because it's, it's, it's soft, but like you talked about, you've always been attracted even in ceramics to the domestic object, right? The mug, mm -hmm the teapot or, or the pot or the, the, the thing that you see in the home, in the cupboard. But see, I, as, as a kid, I never drank out of coffee mugs, right? I, I never really drank out of teapots. But pillows, that's a domestic object that both adults and kids have extremely like intimate domestic relationships with, right? Yes. You sleep on your pillow. But as a kid, you didn't just use a pillow for sleeping or on pillow your couch. fights. Pillow fights, pillow forts. Um, I mean, what are plush animals besides pillows that look like a specific animal? You know, they're just right. pillows. And so it makes a lot of sense to me that pillows are this really good bridge between adulthood and childhood. Um, the domestic, and the domestic bridge, this is the domestic bridge between those two things. The home as an adult and the home as a child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For a uh, while. I remember talking about in my lectures how the cowboy had always been an inspiration because you have this childhood hero. You look up to them. This is how you want to be when you grow up. And then as a gay man, how I see, how I see a cowboy now. Sure. And, and it's just how an item, how one item can really take on various roles depending on the time of your life and based on other interests. really interesting conversation about taking that leap, taking that risk, and making a creative change. And what I really liked about the conversation with Jason is that he talked about how through all of this change, which might seem sudden to people who know his work, it was gradual. It took time. The seeds of that were there from the very beginning. Like our last podcast with Misa Kerr, so much from childhood comes back later to influence us. But not only that, Jason mentioned a lot of artists who gave him advice along the way. Tom Bartell, Tom Spleth, Maggie Finlayson. 
So I'm going to make sure that those artists are also have links down in the show notes so people can check out their work as well. So I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jason, and we'll see you again on another Aeromont podcast. Mm-hmm.